No matter what structure the firm has in place, no matter what tech they do or they don't have, it will provide them the same result. So then, then that benefit passes through to their plaintiffs. Everyone in the mass tort consumer protection world is affected by dual reps. It's bad for the defense. It frustrates the judges in the courts. It's frustrating to the plaintiff bar. It's frustrating to every individual attorney. In 2021, women made up over half of all summer associates for the fourth year in a row. Yet equity partners in multi-tier law firms continue to be disproportionately white men. Only 22% of equity partners are women. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to LawHer, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal fields. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, build community, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the digital agency of choice for personal injury lawyers. This is LawHer. Dual reps are a major source of frustration and lost capital for mass tort firms. When the plaintiff volume is in the thousands or tens of thousands, the tech needs to be there to help catch a problem right away and create efficiencies. Elizabeth Kane offers CrossX as an end-to-end solution. Today, we discover how CrossX can help address the dual representation of clients in mass tort cases automatically, protecting firms' bottom lines in the process. Elizabeth had an unconventional journey to becoming the president of CrossX. She shares with us the journey that got her to where she is. Let's dive in. And so I think the first piece was when I went to college, you know, I was in the economics program and immediately I recognized that that was something that didn't attract a lot of women, but it was something I was very curious about. I've always been a curious person. I've always wanted to be a student of my environment. And economics, when I was deciding on my major, just seemed like the perfect fit because it was sort of this pervasive discipline. You could you know, walk into a town and look at the way things were happening and think about the economics of that. You know, or you could zoom out and think about it on a global scale. And coming out of college... I did want to go to law school. I was uh, ready to do so and then realized I needed to get out there and into the workforce. And so the job that I was working in to help pay for college, the main job was at an art gallery. And when I graduated, I became the gallery director. And so I was in the art world. Yeah, very unconventional going from, you know, I got my economics degree. I thought I would go work for like an NGO or do something in development and incidentally just ended up in the art world. But again, being in this pervasive discipline, I sort of was able to apply all of those principles that I learned in college to running this business. And then having this really unique opportunity to run a business directly out of college and have this autonomy... I essentially was, you know, was just really handed the business and said, run with it. And I, you know, sort of brought it up to speed. I got us on social media, built the website, but also was in their day to day working with clients, um, purchasing art, doing evaluations, all of these things. And so that immediate experience of wearing a lot of different hats and having to figure things out on the fly and to learn an entire new industry sort of overnight. That built the framework that then brought me into you know the next position and the next position. So I sort of inadvertently stayed in uh, the art world for about ten years, 
and then moved into healthcare tech. I began with a tech startup there. So we were launching a product. We were marketing to hospitals and health systems. And I was overnight traveling all over the country, doing presentations and demos in front of you know the C-suites at hospitals, bought my first suit. From there, when COVID hit, of course, the whole healthcare world shut down. Vendors weren't allowed in hospitals. And so I moved into a legal startup. Once again, you know, software and sort of came full circle because I'd wanted to go to law school and didn't have that opportunity. And it was almost like this redemption that I was back in the field that I had had so much interest in. And through that, I learned how to, again, speak the language and law. I, I was reading every legal paper I could get my hands on. I was listening to all the podcasts you know, here I am in my early 30s and I'm a student again. And that's sort of been that theme throughout. So here we are. So economics, art, healthcare, software, startups, legal. What did you want to be when you were eight years old? I always either wanted to be a vet or a lawyer. And then I wanted to be able to solve injustices in the world because you know, like, I guess you could say that there's a through line here too. You're a vet, there's animals that are in pain, you want to solve that. With a lawyer or an attorney, you're, you're solving someone else's pain, and you're able to come to a solution through, you know, gathering information, processing it, all of that. I think you're right. I think there is a through line there, because injustice is very wounding. Like an injustice can absolutely wound someone and lawyers help people heal from that injustice. And then your current position as president is fairly new. How did all of that equal cross-ex? In my immediate past position, you know, I was primarily selling software and then doing some uh, management of that with firms. And so I had, you know, about 200 different firms or so that I had worked with or had communication with. And this experience of constantly developing this product to better fit their needs. We specialized in mass, the mass tort landscape. And so that, of course, is something that's continually changing. You have to be on your toes. You have to be really agile and able to sort of conform to the needs of the firm. And you do that really by listening to them, right? So I, in a lot of my sales calls, would do as much listening and discovery and and question asking as I would do sort of answering. And that became this beautiful balance. And so everything I took there in that experience, when that company was acquired and I became a free agent, as I say, I was picked up to lead this CrossX product, which was this beautiful idea. And it just needed... you know, It had the bones, but I needed to put everything else on it and make it a fully fleshed out product. I had an opportunity to come in early, be influential, but also learn um, to learn to be collaborative with a lot of different departments and not be highly specialized in any one thing. And so that and my curious mind sort of served me well again, where I felt like I was perfectly positioned to take on this, um, to take on this and take on this endeavor where we're offering something that no other solution has really been able to offer at the scale and with the ability to be easily adapted by firms. And again, I pulled all of those pain points that I had heard from them and said, I want to solve for all of those so that when we launch, we've already, we've already taken into all of that into consideration. I, I think that's incredible. How fun 
to be able to take someone, someone else's or a variety of people's brilliant idea and then go execute on that. Yeah. That sounds like a dream come true. (laughs) To be in a position where I have autonomy and I do get to wear all those different hats has been such a dream. Like truly wake up and it's something different every day. There's no like sitting at your desk, hammering out the same thing and closing your laptop at the end of the day. Like there's always something going on and, and the wheels are always turning. I love it. So CrossX is the dual rep solution. Can you break down what that means and who you serve? So we primarily serve uh, mass tort firms, firms in um, consumer protection. And what I recognized in my immediate past position is dual reps were always considered a cost of doing business for firms. It was a source of major frustration for them, but something where there was no immediate solution available and any of the solutions that, that tried to take care of it were more reactionary than preventative. And so I, I got it and I recognized the problem before I ever became involved in the solution, which again was, was a really unique position. So in working with these law firms, any mass tort firm, their plaintiff represents you know, their client, their consumer, and their primary focus. And it's a scalable model, right? Like, So there's small firms that you know, only ever have 10 plaintiffs for any particular tour. And there's those that have 10,000. And I wanted to create something that wouldn't just address dual reps for the 10,000, you know, for the large firm, or something that wouldn't address dual reps really late stage, which was traditionally how it happened in the centrality. And so I wanted it to be effective, not only day one, but throughout the litigation. Because I recognized that this wasn't only a problem, you know, on day one, and if they, and it, it would never happen again, right? It happens month one, month two, six months, two months, and because attorneys, you know, in these situations are working on contingency fees, it's really important to shore up that investment and make sure that everything that they're putting into this plaintiff, the touch points, you know, the capital, you know, paying for leads, marketing, all of the front office administration, that they have some sort of insurance that they're not putting all of that into this plaintiff only to lose them at the 11th hour with no chance of recouping or co-counseling or something like that. And it was, again, I saw that they could do a dupe check within their own CRM, but that's very siloed data they could wait until the centrality stage, but now they've lost all of that investment. And there was no communication or centralized database that that really was able to address this problem. And so that's what we built. You know, it's an exciting thing to launch, but I think a part of this is making firms recognize that they don't have to just write off dual reps. They don't have to say, oh, that was a loss you know, and eat it and and keep going that every single one of those plaintiffs and ultimately what they're trying to do, you know, by having the case in the first place, we can take care of that and we can ensure that for them. So you have various systems that you offer during that sort of early, mid, and then end stage. I saw firms have limited resources. I want to save those resources. And I don't want them to have to use multiple platforms and have all these tasks in order to identify dual reps. I wanted it to be something that was just working. They interacted with it. They have very little time and it just worked and it continued to work. And that one solution worked from the moment they had assigned retainer with that plaintiff all the way till settlement phase of litigation. That's it. It's that simple.
Providing an end-to-end solution is no small task. Elizabeth and the team at CrossX offers hands-on systems and SOPs to help firms become more streamlined. I offer that account management, that touch base, that one-on-one, the kickoff call where we're onboarding and we're having a conversation with whoever their stakeholder is in the office. And then continuing to have conversations about, is this working for you? You know, what is, what's the best way in which your firm can use this? What does your workflow look like? Because I can have a conversation with them and say, you know what, this would work really well for your firm. And then I can talk to another firm and say, you know, this actually would work really well for your workflow. So it takes into consideration that every single firm has their own size, their own structure, but also their own culture, their personality, and their own workflows. And this product needed to work for every single one of those firms. Um, And I do believe that we've achieved that. Yes, it sounds incredible. Do you provide like physical people to help with what you're focusing on? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So there's someone you can get on the phone and call someone or write an email or set up a call anytime that you need assistance. But I think, you know, we also wanted to be able to have this kickoff call, do this introduction. And the firms are just like, this is, this is that easy. There's no, you know, I have to figure out this thing and that thing. And I've got to work through these three other platforms and able to implement this. It truly is the simplest like SaaS that they'll ever interact with. And for firms that are really um, weary of, of having to implement all these technologies, especially during COVID, they had to you know, create all these new systems and get everyone on board. And it was... you know, I- I'm sure there's some fatigue around that. And I recognized that. And I said, I just need this to be um, so simple for anyone to use. And I needed it, again, to be working in the background all the time. So that you've put that plaintiff in the system and you never have to think about it again. You don't have to go in and manually run a report. You don't have to scrub things. You don't have to do any of that. You get real-time notifications on your dual reps from the moment that you put them in the system all the way through that litigation. So your company is tackling case processing, management, resolution, and you have a system mass tort law firm. And you just mentioned sort of custom. What's that balance? Like, what's that look like for a product, but then these bespoke solutions? You mentioned sort of like you have to listen to adopt their workflow. How much of this is something that you can repeat? And how much are you having to create with every firm that you work with? It's, again, what I learned in being in startups is the best solutions are, you know, out of the box solutions, right? But then you're able to turn these dials to make it fit. So we're not a case management you know, software. We do a piece of that, but we'll work with your case management software. We are not you know, a marketing firm, but we can work with the leads that you end up getting through your marketing firm and put those into our system once you have the sign retainers. And we're not going to be you know, your call center or your medical record retrieval or any of that but again, we won't interfere or block any of those systems from being used because they don't, they don't need to integrate in that way. I wanted to stay hyper-focused on this problem and say, those other use cases will come and we'll hear and find out about those industry trends as we're going. But I need to become really, really specialized in what I'm trying to solve for. But I need to be broad enough to be able to fit into any firm. And it was, it was really striking that balance. But much of that was 
you know, based on the experience I had, but also the early conversations as I was launching CrossX. And there were days that, you know, I thought I had had it figured out. And then I would get on a call with a firm or someone else in the industry. And I would say, this is what I'm building. And they would go, but have you thought of this? And then the light bulb would go off. And it was like, I thought I had thought of everything. You've never thought of everything in software. And if you, what I've said to a lot of people when talking about um, CrossX is, if you're in software and you're looking to like get to the end of the line and just put a bow on it and be like, I'm done, you shouldn't be in software. It's not the right fit for you. It's never done. It's always improving. The need for improvement will always be exponentially more than your ability to keep up with it. So it's finding that priority, finding what the biggest need is right now, what's the best use case right now. So you're not spreading yourself so thin and then not offering a product that's actually doing what it needs to do in a very robust way. I think your example of dials is perfect. So you're not creating these functions from scratch. You're dialing them in. And then you can, you know, based on where a firm needs something specific, you can turn it up or you can turn it down. So that's a per- I think that's a perfect example. And then you must be a systems person to oversee all of these branches of the business. Do you have favorite pieces of tech or books or frameworks or anything like that? That you like to use? Yeah. My favorite is monday.com. I know it comes up all the time. It came up recently on one of your podcasts, but it truly to me is one of the best product management software out there. Of course, I you know use Salesforce as well. And you know, picking I'm also a reports person and a data person, of course, but metrics are really important. And what I found is Monday can do all of that, right? It's it's your project management, it's your CRM. It is your task flows. It's even just, you know, documents like writing up scripts and things like that. I love doing it on Monday because it's available to me in the cloud. And then if I'm on different devices, I can access it. It, It's just been beautiful for me. I love it. Yes. I think those all-in-one tools where you can just have an overview look at everything are becoming more and more important. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Every client and their experience is critical to the success of a firm. How do you ensure that the client experience is the same for each client who comes through your process? It's making sure that no matter what structure the firm has in place, no matter what tech they do or they don't have, it will provide them the same result. So then then that benefit passes through to their plaintiffs, right? One of the things that should be highlighted about dual reps is Everyone is affected by dual reps. Everyone within the mass tort consumer protection world and legal is affected by dual reps, right? It's bad for the defense. It frustrates the judges in the courts. Um, it's frustrating to the you know the plaintiff bar. It's frustrating to the attorneys, you know, every individual attorney. And then it's not good for the plaintiffs as well. It really is the type of tool that can clean up that mess. And then that efficiency and that truth in in what you're carrying through and your truth in your communications with your plaintiff and everything like that, it may be the thing that tips off that your plaintiff's confused about who they signed up with and you know there's nothing insidious behind it. It's just, you know, confusion or miscommunication. It may tip off things where a simple communication between two firms will take care of the problem and it allows you to do it so much earlier. And you're handling volumes in the tens of thousands. So how do you balance that efficiency you mentioned with also like the genuine care? How do you bring them together? 
I thought of the structure of the way that law firms that are doing mass torts work. And each plaintiff represents sort of an incremental, um, you know, sort of commodity is not the right word, but sort of a, a commodity for them, right? If you lose one plaintiff that again, you, you shouldn't have to just consider that a cost of doing business. And so I recognized that volume was really important as it is in mass torts. Mass torts have grown so rapidly. The scale is incredible. And again, the technology hasn't really been able to keep up. And so it was almost like, we'll address these problems because these are the things that we can handle within the firm. And we'll just, we'll have to leave those for another day. And that's one of the beauties of technology is it gives you the tool to address that so that you can scale up really fast. And so, you know, seeing that this tool could do that, it could be that repeater, it could be that thing that makes you that much more productive. That was, that was so appealing to me. And, you know, again, why it's so important for firms to consider this and to have that conversation because, again, it's completely scalable, right? Their models are scalable. The MDL structures are scalable. And so the way that this tool works follows that same structure. So it's not a subscription model. It's not a user-based model because those SaaS models weren't going to work considering that you know, mass torts do this, right? There's, there's these ups and downs of capital. There's these ups and downs um, of settlement. There's long waiting periods for things to shake out within litigation. And I took all of that into consideration when building this tool as well. Crossex launched recently and the culture is still in development. Elizabeth digs into the positive past experiences she hopes to bring forward in her growing team. my last position, I had this really wonderful culture. My immediate team was seven women. And that was something that was so uplifting to me and empowering to me. My uh, my boss was a female as well. And she was younger than me. And I really looked up to her. And she gave me a lot of autonomy right off the bat and taught me a lot of the things that I then said when I'm a leader or if I ever become a leader... I'm going to empower my people like that. I'm going to make sure that people in my team see other people on the team that look like them, that have some of the same values. And that culture builds itself. Going into work every day and just knowing that I had this wonderful group of women around me, there's so much buoyancy there. And so as I'm building my team, I'm considering those that I know and those that I had a wonderful experience with and pulling them in. But I really intend to to have a lot of that same structure there. Um, and give autonomy, I think, where it, you know it's, it's due and, and not be a micromanager and say, I recognize your skills and I'm going to leverage those skills. But also, what are you interested in? What does your best seat look like? Because I had that ability... Um, both in my last position and now. And it's just done wonders for my confidence and my ability to tackle things head on. Yeah. I love that you used both empower and autonomy because I I feel that way in, in my position. I run operations for rankings and I felt that way from the very beginning. And I empowerment was never right the right word to me, which was sort of like, here's, you know, permission to do your job, you know, like, right. but autonomy, that feels way more accurate. And I, I like that. I think those two come together. And it, it does, it works in everyone's best interest when you have good people that you can trust, 
that you can empower and give autonomy. Like that's how you launch and scale a startup (laughs) or any business. So rule number one. (laughs) That's another way in which we're able to battle sort of something that I really struggled with early in, in my career was this imposter syndrome thing. And it was there when the art world where I said, I have no background in art and I'm jumping into it and I'm leading this, this gallery and I'm in charge of so much, but what, what right do I have to be here? And then I worked with a lot of female artists. And again, just having those conversations and feeling really validated by the other people in the space. And then that happened again when I got into healthcare tech and I was like, I have no background in healthcare. Do I belong here? Um, but finding again, those strong females in the space and being encouraged by that think we're we're so programmed to question whether or not we're enough for that and where i received that autonomy it made me you know realize that organically from the inside out because i was like oh i achieved this thing and no one handed it to me and that just that confidence just continued to build because of that that's an excellent point where when you are avoiding micromanaging and you are granting autonomy and empowerment not only is that good right? But you're avoiding that negative where people are going to question and doubt and not feel like they're enough. So it's like a, it's a double-edged sword in a, in a great way. You're solving those. So that's amazing. And then I have to, I have to ask, um, in marketing, lead generation for lawyers, the intake component is so important. Because if you don't have intake dialed in, all that marketing money is wasted. <laughs> to you, what makes a successful intake team? So I think a lot of it is, and this is again, another through line is just really that communication, but also recognizing that um, there is no one snapshot in time where you can take care of everything. And again, that's where CrossX sort of comes in. So if you've got, you know, a team that's empathetic, that's listening, that's asking the right questions, because everyone around you is a teacher. And so no matter what position you're in, no matter what your title is, no matter how much you think you know about something, the other person has something to teach you. For people in intake, you know, you think you have all the right questions, but really just listening to that person, you may learn something or have to pivot or have a better relationship with them because you took the time to do so. Not everyone is a dual rep at that point. Even with the best intake centers, even with all of those best practices in place, that only takes care of that one moment. And how do you ensure that that plaintiff that you've now spent that money on and you've got all these great standard practices in place and whatever, how do you ensure that going forward for either you or for the firm and that's where, again, CrossX comes in. And you may have done a wonderful job listening and being empathetic and creating that relationship with that plaintiff from day one. But everything beyond that still is somewhat out of your control. And I've just seen it with firms. Like, again, plaintiffs becoming confused, forgetting who they signed up with. You know, some another family member becomes involved or, or whatever the case may be. And how, again, all those resources have now been put into this person. How do you maintain that relationship in a way that doesn't require self-reporting from them? And so, yeah, it's this, again, this sort of uh, beautiful recognition of there isn't one reason that these things happen. There's not one way to take care of them. And, and you're not going to catch sort of all the fish with that one lure. And you've got to have something that, that's sort of this umbrella solution. What's next for you and CrossX? We're doing a lot of conferences and a lot of traveling. And so, you know, next week I'm, I'm in New York and then I'm in DC. And I think, you know, we're very focused on growth and adoption. 
we um, are offering our first tour at Camp Lejeune free to firms that are doing so. We want to sort of prove the concept of this to firms. And, and we've recognized that that's a tort where there's a, a very high probability of, of dual reps. And that is potential to be a major source of frustration for firms and a major source of lost capital and you know wanting to solve for that. So really very focused on the growth of CrossX through offering, um, again, Camp Lejeune for free to firms, but also just getting exposure and getting the visibility because... Again, firms aren't expecting this, I don't believe, because it's it's something that no one's been able to tackle before. So getting out there, getting on the conferences, um, you know, making people aware that this solution exists, and then setting up those conversations, again, where I'm doing as much listening as talking and saying, how, how are dual reps affecting your firm specifically? What resources do you put into your plaintiffs? How have you addressed these things in the past? And then you know, showing how, again, we can turn those dials and we can make the solution fit their firm. So that's the, that's the main focus. And I'm, and I'm very excited about that and, uh, and growing our team as well. Yeah. It sounds like, um, very bright for 2023. So are you a reader? Are you reading anything right now? I am a reader and I always balance, this is sort of funny, a, a book that is something that I don't have to focus on so much with a book that is more academic. So I'm reading a great book on MDL reform, reading the dissenting opinion on that. And then um, sort of my more fun book is The Overstory. I'm a big outdoors nature person. That's where I get all of my relaxation and sort of let all my mental filing happening uh, is outdoors. And so that's just something to um, keep me interested there as well. Yeah, I I read that earlier this year. It was wonderful. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I it would never have showed up on my radar, but it was wonderful. I was surprised at like how I found it difficult to put down. Yeah, and I liked how how each story had its own sort of theme and its own characters and then it moved on to the next one, but that that thread of, you know, nature and and being, you know, aware of your surroundings and and how some things are are very uh, permanent and then other things are not was was really wonderful. Yes. And I always think people should read things that they don't agree with necessarily. I think it, it critical thinking sharpens critical thinking, which is super important. So absolutely. And then you're obviously very busy <laughs> launching a company, growing a company. What do you do when you need to chill out? <laughs> you mentioned outdoors. Is there anything else? <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite of what most people would think. So I have a couple ways in, in which I do so. One is I'm part of um, a great running community and one that's very inclusive and one that focuses more on the social aspect of running rather than like the competitive aspect of it. And it's headed up by uh, two really wonderful, tenacious women in the area that I live. And, you know, they have like three different runs a week that you can drop in and join. And so when I'm here and I'm available, I hop in there. We had one last night. It was wonderful. And then I also spend you know, I'm fortunate to split my time between two different places in New Hampshire that have activities that are really soothing to me. And one is um, up in the White Mountains, and I do a lot of hiking and camping um, on the weekends up here. And then the other in Portsmouth, I do some sailing in the summer and uh, really, really enjoy that. So it's like this, you know, these beautiful landscapes and these places where you can sort of just let like I said, that mental filing happens. So all the busyness in your brain, give yourself a platform to let all those things settle, 
and work out. And I've had some of like my biggest eureka moments when I've just been walking down a trail and everything's really quiet and I'm not even thinking about work, but it will just sort of pop up into my head. And I've, and I've given myself a really great, um, great idea or a great solution to a problem by just stepping out of, you know, my little home office and into that. Even the most empathetic teams that have the best practices in place deal with thousands of clients in mass torts, and dual reps are an inevitability. But solutions like CrossX can help take the guesswork out of the equation. A huge thank you to Elizabeth Kane for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Laher with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or it just made you smile, please share this episode with the trailblazer in your life. For more about Elizabeth, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I will see you next week on Laher, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. Mm-hmm.